What you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. Stop. At Metro PCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to Metro PCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. Metro PCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions. Hey, guys. You are locked on Falcons. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Freeman. I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Sterk. Tonight we are joined by our good friend Andrew Parsons to talk about this Falcons team and their upcoming matchup in the Super Bowl. We will also be joined by Robert Land of the Locked On Texans podcast. He's going to give us some of the inside scoop on what maybe some Falcon fans that may be making the journey to Houston this weekend might be in store. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, folks, we are joined by our good friend Andrew Parsons, formerly of a lot of things. Uh, you know, I don't know what the last thing uh, you were formerly uh, a part of, Andrew. Maybe you can lighten the folks, but you can find him on Twitter at AP underscore IDGT, giving you some great Falcon takes. Uh, Andrew, welcome back to the show. I want to ask you at what point this season, you being the person that you are constantly making snarky comments about the Falcons, what point in this season did you start buying into this team? Ooh, that's, that's, that's a tough one. I want to say um, probably when Vic Beasley started to look like an actual NFL player. Uh, because I'm pretty sure I spent most of my early times hating on Vic Beasley because I was such a fan. I hyped him up. I put my name to him. Uh, so heavily coming out of Clemson, he just did nothing but disappointed me. He started to turn the corner a little bit, and I feel like that's when I got back into uh, the topics. So Ty Sambrello deserves all the credit for getting you back on board. Uh, we'll probably say about 50% of the credit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Kyle Shanahan was the other 50%? Uh, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. But when you, when you see people like Vic Beasley and um, – you know, I also hated on Alex Mack and Mohamed Sanu. So when you start to see those people doing good things, it's like, you know what? But I was probably wrong. Fair enough. I, I know all this about that. Deserves my credit, my support. Yeah, it did, I was a little later on the on the bandwagon. Um, you know, maybe a little too late for a lot of people's taste, but uh, I'm here, so that's all that matters, at least in my eyes. Yeah. Well, we got to talk about Matt Ryan, given that at some point last year, people were talking about train for Kirk Cousins and just starting him. Uh, just given the success that Ryan's had this year, what's been the most shocking thing about it? I was just on a podcast the other day setting the edge with uh, Justice Mosqueda and Charles McDonald, uh, and I was saying, like, before the season, it looked like a Donovan McNabb scenario. Like, an above-average to good quarterback who has, you know, obvious downsides um, and then just fell off a cliff. Like, everything looked wrong. Everything looked wrong last year. Uh, the preseason was a disaster, and it just came out of nowhere. It was complete evolution. I'm not sure if the preseason was a complete joke. <laughs> um, and I still remember one of my good friends and a very respected analyst, Eric Stoner, at Bo Jackson, uh, basically said, you know what, I bet you Matt Schaub takes snaps of the Falcons this year. 
everything just looked like a complete disaster, but it really came together this year, and it was very nice to say. To be fair, Mesh Shop did take snaps this year. Otherwise, <laughs> like 12? <laughs> In- Serious snaps, you know what I mean. Yeah. Not bigger yeah. snaps. <laughs> Yeah, man, it, it, you know, I do remember, you know, the fun I would certainly have with the, you know, Matt Ryan is the best backup quarterback in in the league commentary that was in the preseason. Um, you know, that pick he threw, against, I think it was Miami, right, that he threw in the end zone. And it was just like, oh, well, I guess this is going to just keep on happening. And, you know, it, it started up the, the fire Shanahan stuff. I remember talking with Alan about that, where it's like, it's not Shanahan's fault that Matt Ryan's making poor decisions in the red zone. And uh, that was literally the last time we ever had that conversation. Um, so it's certainly been a a great thing to see this team sort of respond to everything. Basically, everything went right with this team uh, as, as far as you can um, realistically say, and, and that was certainly a surprise for me. And I think it's going to be able to carry them, you know, it's carried them this far. I think it will be able to carry them, um, this Sunday and, and we'll see what happens. But, uh, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic, which is about as optimistic as it's possible for me to be. Andrew, were you surprised that Ryan was so efficient on just downfield passes this year, given that he's kind of struggled over the years? Honestly, uh, I was surprised about pretty much about everything about Matt Ryan this year. Um, I've honestly, I just remember still last week I texted uh, Charles McDonald. Uh, there was a pass rush where Clay Matthews got some serious pressure, and then Ryan still completed a downfield pass. Uh, last year, or most years prior in his career, that seems like a play to me where he sees that pressure. He tucks it down, and he gets sacked like a two-yard loss. Um, and instead of turning into a big completion, it's just, it's just an entirely new quarterback. I do feel like, uh, just just for the Twitter jokes, sometimes I might have gone a bit over the top, but it was uh, fairly justified, but completely new players this year. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. Never thought I'd hear the word. Like <laughs> but it, it's just crazy given that uh, how will this offense has just come together? I know the crazy stretch with Carolina, Seattle, and Denver, or Denver and Seattle, I should say. I think that was probably the turning point, right, Aaron? Yeah, I think that was that was the point where certainly I started to buy into the hype because, you know, last year we saw the team start fast. They were sort of barely beating teams because, you know, when they started 5-0, and if you really sort of look at a lot of those games, they were behind for the vast majority of, the, of, of several of those games. You know, they were against the Giants. They were behind until, what, like the last minute of the game, that entire game. Um, you know, they got up early against Philadelphia and then fell behind and then pulled it off in the, in the fourth quarter. Um, um, you know, Dallas, they, they were getting beat at, at halftime and then they sort of turned it on in the second half. Uh, it was one of those things where like last year they were winning games early, but it, they weren't looking like a great team. And I think this year, particularly at that point in the season, uh, when they blew the doors off Carolina, when we still thought Carolina was, you know, the, the team that they were last year and, and they would get it back that week. And we thought Denver was one of the hot, you know, I think they were undefeated going into that game. Um, and had the league's best defense, it would be like, okay, well, they'll be able to slow down this offense for the first time. And then going on the road and being within a pass interference call of uh, 
uh, beating the Seahawks, that was the point when it's like, okay, this team is is legit and and they're for real. And I, I think, um, you know, for for them to be able to sustain that somewhat and not sort of fall off the cliff offensively, like I was sort of expecting, you know, earlier this season on this podcast when people would ask me about Matt Ryan, I'd be like, yeah, he's doing pretty, he's playing pretty well, but, uh, you know, he's a couple of picks got dropped, you know, that would have changed the perception. So I wasn't really completely buying in on it, but, uh, you know, basically because of that attitude of at some point, this, uh, offensive explosion is going to tail off like it did last season. And that never happened. And I, I think, um, you know, that turning point was basically when they were able to, to do what they did against Denver um, and, and you sort of utilize Tevin Coleman as this sort of um, uh, what, what would be the word to describe it? This, this X factor that really made the difference in that game. Yeah. He was a, a true offensive weapon in that game. Speaking of Coleman, Andrew, I've seen you tweet this a couple of times that you kind of value him more than Freeman. Can you elaborate on that? Cause I'm really curious. Um, here's the thing. I mean, I think like most people, I am not big on paying running backs. I mean, that's just obvious. I, I don't need to explain the reasoning behind that. But uh, I said it when he was first drafted. I I was not a big Kevin Coleman guy just watching the Indiana tape. Uh, he reminded me a lot of Felix Jones. But at the same time, I saw why the Falcons drafted a Tevin Coleman as opposed to a Duke Johnson. Uh, Tevin Coleman at his best level is probably prime Chris Johnson, CK, uh, CJ 2K. I mean, it's a dynamic playmaker. I think Aaron, uh, I believe it was Aaron or Alan. I'm not sure which one of you tweeted out, but there's just his speed is too much at some time. Uh, the fact that he got hands this year was obviously a major improvement in his game. And I do think he is super undervalued. His vision is still pretty bad. Um, but the speed is just too much. Even with bad vision, bad bounce, um, he's pretty much 90% of David Johnson, who I think most people would say is probably a top 10 player in the NFL. So it's just a completely different element. As efficient and as good as Devonta is, uh, that's Darren Sproles, and Tevin at his best is just on a completely different level to me. I think it's an interesting take because I sort of was thinking about the the difference between them, and I think you know the best way of, of describing Devonte is, you know, I don't think he has any major weaknesses. Um, the things that he's not particularly good at, like you know, running after contact, we've seen him be be able to power through tackles. We saw a couple of weeks ago where he sort of slammed one into into the goal line by breaking a bunch of tackles against the Seahawks and whatnot. And so it's like whatever he's weak at, he's not really weak at. It's just he might not be amazing at them. But you can look at what he does and say, okay, well, he doesn't really have, you know, something that he's amazing at, but he's just a good all-around back. He does everything well. He's a jack-of-all-trades. And I think with Tevin Coleman, he has some legitimate weaknesses. He has some things that he's not good at doing. and But the things that he is good at doing, he's amazing at doing. So he's more of a, a specialist. And I can certainly understand why people would be a little bit more enamored with um, the the player that Tevin Coleman is potentially because of that upside and because of that, that peak ability that there's still room to grow 
um, with him. So I, I can get that, you know, I, I'm team Devante though. Um, so I, I can't get completely on board with that, but that, that's fine. It's a good problem yeah. to have. Yeah. Go ahead, Alan. I just worry about his durability a bit. Two seasons now, he's missed some time. I know first season, yeah, he had like that bathtub incident, which was just crazy. But this year, he also had the hamstring. So I just think that's something that should be monitored. Yeah, I know. I, I mean, that makes sense. Um, listen, if you ask me today, just straight up, same contract, same money. Which one would I take? It's obviously Freeman. It's just more of a uh, matter of value proposition. And I, th- I feel like Tevin adds a completely different element to the team uh, this year with his ability to catch the football and make things happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, Devontae is the better running back, but Tevin is the better OW, the offensive weapon. Well said. Yep. Another player I'm curious about because I forget, were you dra- uh, still writing at the time during the 2015 draft? Yeah. yeah. Did you go into Jalen Collins a lot? Because I've, I don't know, the past few weeks I'm just enamored by him because even though he's still kind of raw, you could tell there's clear talent there. I mean, yeah, it was one of those things that I saw him as a very good scheme fit. I mean, he was always going to have a lot of problems. He will always be probably a flawed player in a lot of ways. If you're looking for uh, for the people who are looking to uh, listen to this podcast, he'll, he'll never be true font. Um, he's always going to make a lot of mistakes. He'll be more along the lines of the Alford category, but he's super talented. Um, I did not, I knew year one was going to be rough, which it was, uh, but his growth has been incredibly impressive. Yeah. The interesting thing about Collins was this was the rap at him on him at LSU, which is he didn't practice particularly hard. And that was one of the reasons why he never really got in the field till his last year there. And then once they put him in, in the game, cause he had to replace, um, Rayshard Robinson, who's with somebody, I think the chiefs or somebody like that. Um, or the 49ers, or I don't know. But um, he, he got suspended, and then they plugged in Collins, and he played so well once he got on the field that uh, they, they, they basically allowed him to keep the job. And, you know, it, it sort of t- talks about Collins and sort of his gamer mentality and maybe that his preparation, maybe his um, commitment, his discipline, all those sorts of things that people were certainly questioning um, going into this season with the suspension and then coming out of that suspension with him being on the um, inactive list were constantly talking about. And that, that may be a legitimate concern. And we may find out after a full off season of after this season that, you know, whatever hopes and dreams that were expected of him going into 2017 may not live up to the fruition but i think he once he gets on the field he'll play and he's been playing at a high level and i think he's shown tremendous growth over the course of this season and um i'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what he does the rest of his career in atlanta however long that may be i could really see brady targeting him going to sunday just given that uh, obviously he's an experience and uh, you just know his veteran quarterbacks you saw carson palmer do you saw cam newton Corbacks are going to go after him, and I do wonder how he's going to fare against New England. They like to, they like to run those rub routes, Chris Hogan, Julian Alderman, those smaller craft year route runners. I do wonder how Collins are going to fare, but like at this point, I don't know what's the best matchup for him. I know he likes tall, covering taller wide receivers, but at the same time, Mal- Michael Floyd probably is not going to be active, so whoever he covers, I think it's going to be a good matchup to watch. 
Yeah, I think he'll probably get stuck with Hogan. I think that's probably the best matchup of the, of the guys that will definitely play in this game. We'll see if Mitchell or Floyd is used as the Patriots number three guy. Um, as you said about Brady going after him, it'll be interesting. You know, the Patriots and Brady single handedly basically destroyed, uh, Therald Simon's career a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl. So if, if somebody on this Falcons secondary isn't up to, to snuff, um, they will definitely exploit that. And, uh, and and make it known to the to national media, essentially. On that note, I'm I'm curious, uh, Andrew, what are your sort of thoughts going into this game? I know you've been of the mindset that um, you know this is all or nothing. That they got to take advantage of this opportunity because there haven't been that many of these opportunities in the past, and there's certainly no guarantee that there will be in the future. So, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, my my big thing and has been since the start of the playoffs is it's the hashtag now or never. Um, I started it a little while ago. Uh, it's just a matter the culmination of the team. I mean, Matt Ryan playing at this level, Kyle Shanahan coaching at this level, and you know what? The defense obviously very flawed. I'm sure we all expect the defense to make strides in the next two years, uh, but the whole combination of the defense playing at a level where it's not great, uh, but this is also not a soft defense. This is not a defense that, you know, if we get a big lead, obviously it's still Atlanta Falcons football. They'll give some yards back, but this I would by no means call this team soft in the slightest. Um, so it's one of those things. Like, I'm not sure we'll ever find this balance quite again. Uh, but overall, I am pretty confident in what we have going here. Uh, I mean, you, you know the Patriots are going to try and go heavy with Blunt and try and just run the ball down the Falcons' throats. Uh, the big thing, everyone's obviously asked me this week, Andrew, do you feel confident about the Falcons? And what I tell everybody is if the Falcons score 30 points, they'll win. Mm-hmm. I, 28, 27, I'm not so sure. I feel like that's where the Patriots get that plus three win by a field goal. Uh, but if the Falcons score 30, I do believe they will win this game fairly confidently. Yeah. I, you know, I was looking at the, the over unders, what, like 57, something like that. And I feel like yeah. uh, if, if, if you're going to bet the over, you think the Falcons are going to win. If you're going to bet the under, then you think the Patriots are going to win. I think that's sort of the way, uh, would you agree with that? A hundred percent. I would. Yep. I feel like if you're looking for the Patriots to win this game, it's probably going to be a 27-24, 24-21 type of last-second Goskowski field goal. Um, I mean, if you're expecting the Falcons to win, it's going to be a 35-28 type of game, in my opinion. That's fair. Yeah, because you want to – like what happened against Seattle where they completely fell apart in the first half, then they played catch-up. And they only ended with, I think, only 24 points. They're going to have to put together at least three really good halves to win this game. And based on what this offense has done, at least during the playoffs, that shouldn't be an issue. Yeah, I, I don't think um, you can expect, like it was in the Green Bay game or the Seattle game, that the Falcons can deliver a knockout blow to the Patriots in the first quarter or in the first two quarters. Like, you know, they. It is Bill Belichick. He, he, you know, he has his reputation for a reason. If they're struggling in the first half, they will make adjustments. They will make the right adjustments. You can just already make, just go ahead and check that box off and they will climb back into this game. So it's certainly going to take three, at least 
three, if not all four quarters of effort for the Falcons to, to pull off this win. So, um, you know, I, I think it'll be interesting to sort of see if the, if the offense can, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how the Falcons come out in this game because, you know, I don't necessarily buy in the whole idea of playoff experience and, and sort of Super Bowl experience mattering all that much. But if it's going to have an impact in this game, it's going to start early and we'll know within the first eight or so minutes of this game or, or whatever. So I'll be curious to see um, how the Falcons start. And, you know, I don't have a prediction on how it will go, but um, that will be a, certainly, I think, an interesting thing to keep an eye on as the game progresses. Andrew, did you have the Patriots go all the way in your preseason pick? Uh, I was a Steelers guy. Uh, oh, wow. That was before Brian's suspension, I believe. So, yeah, that was my pick. Okay. Yeah, I had Patriots, Cardinals, and I had New England winning. Unlike Aaron, I know Aaron, you went with Arizona, but <laughs> yeah, I'm still, I'm still like fifty fifty right now. But I am just leaning land just because I, like you said, this offense just too many weapons, and I do think Taylor Gabriel could be him because one thing I did notice in New England, their corners are kind of slow, and. Pittsburgh obviously had a couple opportunities to break open a few big plays. I don't know, do you think Gabriel could at least have three or four big plays in this game? Uh, I, mean, I mean, three or four is a lot to ask of him. I, I feel like if the Falcons are going to win this game, it's going to be um, pretty much what we've seen all year. Like uh, Matt Ryan distributing the ball very well. I don't, I don't see anybody having a huge game. You know what I mean? I don't see a Julio 180 yards, two touchdown type of game. I think it's going to be spread uh, pretty evenly. I would love to see Snoo have a big game just because Belichick and New, uh, they kind of wanted him in free agency, but obviously they were going to spend the money that Atlanta spent. But it'd be fine to see. Yeah, you, you just had to get Chris Hogan instead of Mohamed Sanu. That's what you get. Clear downgrade. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like but... I said, if I had to pick one person to have a big game, I think it'd be Tevin Coleman. Um, you know, New England's linebackers are very talented. I love Hightower. Uh, but I think this would be Tevin's game to shine. I think that's a fair point. I, w- I would agree with that. I think uh, of all the matchups that uh, favor the Falcons, and I know a lot of the attention is on Julio and how they'll deal with Julio. It's not to say that I don't think Julio will play well. Julio generally does play well. It's just I don't think the Falcons need him to have this monster game, as you said. And I do think if you're looking at all the other matchups, if you're assuming Julio is going to get bracketed, which – I think is a pretty safe assumption. And, you know, maybe they put Butler on uh, Gabriel since they tend to, to match Butler up with the smaller, quicker receivers as opposed to the Julio Joneses. They didn't really put G- Butler on A.J. Green. They didn't put him on Demarius Thomas. They put him on Emmanuel Sanders. They didn't put him on um, Hopkins in Houston. They put him on uh, Will Fuller. Um, if if you're assuming that Butler's going to match up with Gabriel, you know, I think Gabriel can get beat him, but I don't think it's going to be – beating him like a drum, like he's been getting like the third best corner on a lot of these teams and, and just basically abusing them to the degree. And, um, I think if you're looking at some of these matchups, um, then you're looking at Tevin Coleman potentially getting matched up against, uh, Shea McClellan or Kyle Van Noy or Landon Roberts or Hightower, all of whom are, are good linebackers, you know, testament to Belichick for resurrecting Van Noy and McClellan to become competent role players for their team when they were considered busts over in uh, Detroit and Chicago. But uh, none of those guys can, can deal with Tevin Coleman's speed. They can't really deal with Devontae Freeman's speed, but you throw in, um, 
Coleman on top of that. It's just, you know, it's, you know, no moss as uh, uh, Roberto Duran might say. So it, it's, um, it's a, it's a potential matchup that I think the Falcons can exploit. I don't know how many times they will be able to do it, but it, you know, I don't know, you know what that magic number is, if it's one or two or three times, but uh, whatever it is, I, I do think it would be enough. I think also one you know, thing. My, my, oh, go on. I'm sorry. I didn't, mean to cut, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think the most interesting thing about that is if you think about people that you want to match up with Kevin Coleman, uh, one of the first names that comes to my mind, Jimmy Collins. Yeah. Uh, so if, if, if Kevin has a decent game rushing and, you know, gets four or five catches uh, and the Falcons end up winning, it, that'd be pretty interesting to take a quick look back at. Since obviously the Patriots traded him at a major discount. Yeah, they you know I think they they got Kiki Mingo hoping that they could sort of train him into turn him into that type of player. Mingo basically got benched after a couple of weeks. He's basically a special teams player at this point. So um, uh, you know I, I saw him. He, Gio Bernard roasted him in that Cincinnati game back in like I think week seven. I think it was, and we haven't seen much of him from since then so um yeah it'll be interesting to sort of you know these coulda shoulda would have narratives depending on who wins the game um before it's all said and done there's only one super bowl team that could use the cleveland browns to their benefit <laughs> yeah fair enough Alan. Yeah. Hmm. i also do want to point out that there's nobody on the defense line that strikes fear so you assume with good protection Ryan should be able to get the job done. I know he's probably going to have to rely on a lot of underneath throws. New England doesn't allow many deep bombs, but at the same time, Big Ryan, as he showed against Seattle, has no problem uh, throwing intermediate passes to just you know regular hitch routes and all that. So I'm just curious, given that New England, they kind of mix things up, but at least this is the first playoff game where you, you don't see Atlanta going up against a feared pass rusher like a Cliff Avril, Michael Bennett, or even Nick Perrier. I can't say Clay Matthews anymore, but you get the idea. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I think it's a it's a favorable matchup for the Falcons. They just got to go out and and do it. Um, yeah, just I think I think not having that pass rusher is going to help them out. I think you know the the Patriots' plan is is not necessarily we're not going to stop the Falcons. We just got to get some stops in the red zone. If we can do that, then we can win this game. I'm curious, Andrew, since everyone loves Keon, Neil, and Deion Jones, what do you make of Devon Drake Campbell? Because I think he's looked a lot better in the past four or five games. You know what? I, I would tend to agree. He's a lot like everyone else. It's just like he's a tremendously flawed player at first. Um, you could see that from college to the first few weeks of the season, but he has shown a, a tremendous amount of growth. Um, I mean, if I was placing value on the positions of Atlanta's starting defense, uh, weak sign linebackers probably down around number 10 or 11. Uh, but you know what? He's the guy that uh, DQ, TD, and Pioli want. I mean, he's long, he's fast, and he's not soft at all. Um, so you know what? I've honestly been pretty impressed by him the last few weeks. He seems like – I remember texting earlier in the year that I was just like, hey – uh, this might be a guy we can upgrade on, but you know what? He seems like he might be a pretty solid force because uh, obviously you cannot pay everybody forever. So, but he strikes me as a uh, potential above average starter. 
Yeah, because Aaron, I know you mentioned possibly moving him to the strong side and upgrading at weak side. Have you changed that now? Um, I can't remember which game it was. It was either Seattle or New Orleans that when I went back and watched the tape, I saw some things that I really liked from Campbell that was really sort of showing that his um his recognition had improved. There was a couple of plays that really stood out to me that I don't think he would have made a month or two ago. And that, that made me sort of back uh, off of the idea of playing him at Sam. I do think if he doesn't improve, which is not a, an assumption that I'm making, but in, in the sort of scenario where he just basically goes the route of say a player like Demorio Williams, and he's just a great athlete that doesn't really develop all the other things to become a great player. Um, then I think Sam linebacker would be a great fit for him just because it won't require him to be, you know, the most, um, as they say, cerebral and, um, instinctual linebacker. He can just go out there and, and be physical and that plays to his strengths. Um, but you know, like, you know, my perspective is if they, if they move him to strong side linebacker, great, because that means they've made a major upgrade at weak side linebacker. But if they don't move him there, certainly not as, as early as next season, that's not a big deal. I'm certainly, um, excited to see where his development goes and, and how much growth he shows, um, in 2017. Yeah, I know he only plays about 30% of defensive snaps, but I can't take another season of Philip Wheeler. Yeah, I mean, the good thing about the strong side linebacker position, based off of how the Falcons have played this year, it's not a huge role. Um, mm-hmm. And so you can just basically look at that and say, hey, you know, we can just get a league average player, which you can certainly argue Philip Wheeler is not at this point in his career, and we'll be fine at that spot. Uh, that's basically what the Seahawks have done with Mike Morgan. Um, who you can, again, argue may not reach that league average level. But, um, you know, you basically you just need a sort of a, a slightly better than replacement level player and, and you can function there. But, um, if you know, if you can get a, a stud and then now all of a sudden now you can play three linebackers and you can go with your base and not have to rely on, on the nickel as much because of the versatility of your athletic linebackers, um, then, you know, that, that would be a bonus. But... Uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. And you know what? While we're on the subject, Aaron, I'm curious. Um, have you moved off the uh, move Dion to Will and find a Bobby Wagner type at middle? Or where do you stand right now? I mean, look, I, I'm like with Campbell, I'm fine with keeping Dion Jones at middle and seeing where he where he grows at. You know, to me, the issue with Dion Jones is like his his physicality at the point of attack when like he's has to face a, a an offensive lineman like you know it, it sounds harsh but he's he's kind of terrible at that and it, i'm Agreed. i'm watching some of these other linebackers like a Wagner like a KJ Wright like uh an Landon Roberts or whatever and see these guys get physical and take on these offensive linemen at the point of attack and it's like they may not be making the play but they're freeing up one of their teammates to make the play and I don't see enough of that from Deion Jones. And I, I need to see more of that from him, if if not this week, and I'm not expecting it to, to be, you know, night and day or anything like that. But if, if that doesn't happen next year, then I, I'm, I'm much more on the let's move him the weak side linebacker and see if we can get that, that body in there that can sort of be that physical but also be that athletic playmaker at the middle linebacker. Now, obviously, finding that player is easier said than done, but um, – you know, I, I think Deion Jones certainly has a, a fit with this team long term, but whether that's at Mike or Will, 
I'm not a hundred percent sure. And, um, you know, I don't have a strong opinion at this point in time. I'm, I'm willing to give it another year before I, I lean too far one way or the other. Yeah. You know, I was just kind of interested because I know you brought up that point a couple of times on Twitter this year and I kind of tend to agree with that, but uh, I don't ever see him being a great point of attack player. That's just not his game. But uh, to me, his instincts and intelligence has grown pretty significantly to where I say, hey, middle linebacker is a super important piece of defense, and I feel like he can fill it. So I just want to see if you change your tune a little bit. Yeah, no, I, I'm I'm sort of in that same sort of mindset. I think the the weaknesses of his game – certainly can be offset by the strengths of his game. And so if that's the case, then I'm fine with keeping him at middle linebacker. It's just in an ideal, perfect world, you would have somebody there that's a little bit um, better at the point of attack, a little bit better as a downhill player um, than he is. And that would sort of allow him to, to not have to deal with that trash that he tends to struggle with at this point in his career. But um, again, you know, it's a minor complaint and uh, I certainly think he'll have a long successful career here in Atlanta, which is very different from the attitude I had when we first drafted him because he was my um, least favorite of our draft picks this year. You would also hope that you, you uh, probably watched that. You probably you, you probably watched that gif of uh, Jacob Coker's uh, truck <laughs> yeah. over and over. I know, I know, I certainly did. It was. It's hard that you know. Once you see it, it's hard to uh, wipe that from your memory. You also hope that with uh, maybe signing a nose tackle in the offseason that you could possibly like alleviate that issue. Obviously, look, Jones is going to take on blockers every game, but at least with a better nose tackle, you maybe you could give him better opportunities to make plays in a running game. Absolutely. I, I think that's a very important point, Alan. If you upgrade the D-line, then a lot of the issues that we've constantly picking on some of these players, certainly in the back seven, go away. If you if you can dominate up up front, you know, uh, look at Philadelphia. They have a the, probably the worst secondary in the league, but their defense was number one for a big chunk of the season because of the the play of their their front four and, and even um, somewhat their their linebacker core. So um, if you can win up front, then you know all these other issues go away. And they're the only defense to hold this offense under twenty points. Yes, there you go. Yeah, I went to one Falcons game this year. I had to see the worst performance. Unbelievable. <laughs> but, uh, Andrew, I want to mention some uh, prop bets because I know you specialize in it. You want to give our listeners some advice? Yeah. Um, hold on. Let me pull this up. I've, I've got a few. Um, you know what? I've already given him so much love, and I'll probably have an awful game now. But one of my favorites is Tevin Coleman over 28.5 receiving yards. Um, I feel like for the last few years, backs have been undervalued. Uh, Deion Lewis is also on my list of an undervalued back with his receiving totals. Uh, but I really don't see Kevin having under four catches. And you know what? 28.5 is really not that all that hard. I mean, we all know he makes a lot of 11, 12-yard catches. That's personally one of my favorites. Okay. Pop. Okay, so we don't advocate for any pit players, so I don't know about Deion Lewis. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, another one of the favorites that I talked about the other day was uh, Brady under 310.5 yards passing. You know what? I, I don't know. You know, Maybe I'm alone on this one, but I don't see the Patriots winning a 45-42 to 42 type of shootout. Uh, if they're going to win this game, it's going to be slow and low. It's going to be blunt having a lot of yards. It's very tough 
even even though we all know it's easy to get completions and yards against Atlanta, uh, Brady for throwing for 311 seems kind of tough to me. I'm with you on that. Uh, you know, I think if the Patriots win, it's going to be because LeGarrette Blunt had like 26 carries for 125 yards or something like that. And on top of that, um, thinking Brady's going to throw for over 300 is uh, probably not likely in the cards if that's the case. Probably pretty ambitious. Um, I'm looking at two of my other favorite ones. Uh, the first one I have is a field goal over 46 and a half yards. Uh, I mean, we're looking at two of the top five kickers in the league. Uh, you know what? I do feel like both teams will be ambitious on fourth down, but uh, it, it's a plus 100 bet. And just with the kicking quality, I feel like one of those two kickers is deep is due to hit something between 47 and 52 yards. Fair enough. I I would agree with you on that. And uh, my last favorite one that I'll throw out there is uh, first completion by break. You know, this one is kind of one on most of these prop bets. I throw about five bucks. It's one of those things that I do just to keep me a little bit more invested in the game. If you hear me, (laughs) if being a Falcons fan for how many years isn't enough, uh, but I like first completion by Brady under seven and a half yards. Okay. Yeah, I can I see like Martellus be... Bennett doing like an out route. You tackle him after four yards or something. I mean, it's just one of those things. I do not see the Patriots coming with a shot play. I feel like it's going to be a quick pass, and it's going to be the game four or five yards. Like simple as that. Yeah, Edelman or Amendola probably. I think that's what you call a savvy pick, right, Andrew? <laughs> you got it. Uh, last one I'll throw out, just my Falcons uh, fans, is uh, I feel like Freeman will score a first-half touchdown. It's plus 180 right now. Uh, we all know the Falcons like to feed Freeman. Uh, if he doesn't get the touchdown, they try and force a touchdown to that guy. Uh, that's one thing I've noticed with Kyle Shanahan. As much as he likes to spread the ball around, if you're close to a touchdown, he likes to try and make sure you get that touchdown. Uh, so Freeman getting a first-half touchdown, I do feel like it's a pretty solid probability. I mean, you throw you know, anywhere from 2 to 10 bucks on a plus 180 on one of the better running backs in the league. I'll take that every day. Are there any odds on Muhammad Snoot throwing a pass? <laughs> You know what? I didn't look at that only because I feel like everybody who's watched film on Twitter is saying, hey, Snoo's going to throw a touchdown pass in this game. So now I feel like it's obsolete. It won't, it won't happen at all. <laughs> it seems like more – I feel like we'll see Snoo in the wildcat again, and it'll yes. be a, um, a, ha- a handoff to Gabriel or something <laughs> wacky. But I don't see him throwing a touchdown pass anymore. Yeah. I wasn't really asking for a touchdown pass, but maybe a nice 15 yard completion. That'll be all right. To Levine Toilolo? No, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, you know, uh, like I said, if, if Twitter people are on it, I feel like Bill Belichick is probably on it. So I'm off that bet. Okay. I also want to mention that uh, this is one of my favorite. So I listened to the Setting Edge podcast, and uh, the probability of a Falcons player pulling a Eugene Robinson I found very fascinating. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple different possibilities. Which what, which way would you guys lean? I mean, it's got to be Hageman. Yeah, I mean, Hageman <laughs> is is kind of the obvious choice. You know, I, 
if if it's somebody else, it's going to be somebody like uh, I don't know, like Deji Olatoye or somebody just obscure on the team. Like who that dude? Like what? What is he thinking? You know what? Like I said, Hageman has the uh, like minus a hundred odds. The thing on setting the edge, I said, I it got refuted a little bit because apparently he's a family guy and whatnot. But I said I feel like it's probably Andy Levitre. I could see him getting white boy wasted down in Houston and just doing some completely nonsensical stuff. So that was my surprise sleeper pack. Okay. Uh, see, my surprise would be Ryan Schreier just based off the tattoos. Gotta love the tribal tats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let me, you just as a kid, that's all I was thinking. I was like, I, I know he was kind of a hothead back in the day, but I just feel like now with the kid, he kind of laid down. Now, you mentioned Sanu, which I find very fascinating. I like this. Like I said, uh, Sanu is, you know what? We've seen all these articles from Mr. Vaughn McClure about him being the uh, swag factor on the offense. And again, I can't go into too great of detail for the podcast, but um, you know what? I've heard a couple stories. I've had a couple things happen. Let's just say I know Muhammad Sanu, and as a fellow Jersey boy, you know what? We're always dangerous. So that that would be a good sleeper pick as well. Oh, man, Sanu does something. You know how much ammunition you're giving Aaron right now? I will never hear the end of it. <laughs> oh. Uh, I, and you know what? I, I just want to add with Sanu, since we're all talking about it, uh, the three of us all hated on it on the free agency preview. Uh, we heard those Sanu rumors. But it. I've honestly found that hilarious that last week it was – Pretty obvious by Kyle Shanahan, future head coach of the 49ers, tried to feature Sanu. Uh, Quinn loves Sanu, and Belichick has been all over Sanu. So uh, I'm not arguing that he's good, he's better than anything we said, but I just find it hilarious that all these super successful football coaches and decision makers absolutely love Mohamed Sanu. I just got a giggle out of it this week. Yeah. Probably include Hugh Jackson's list. I think he was when he went to Cleveland. He wanted him. So I guess it says something when Marvin Lewis is the only guy that didn't really want him. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but hey. hey, Aaron, like you mentioned, Sanu a lot better than Jermaine Curse. <laughs> Sanu, Sanu is a lot better than a lot of receivers in the NFL right now. So I can say that. Um, Andrew, um, we appreciate you coming on. Where where can people find you? Um, at this point, uh, the best thing to do would just be to follow me on my Twitter handle. Um, I'm pretty. I'm writing pretty sporadically. I go on podcasts uh, from people like y- y'all who are nice to have me uh, sporadically. But uh, my main game is on Twitter. Just follow me at at underscore idgk. Hashtag yep. now or never, right? Now or never. And uh, I just want to throw one more thing in there because I did not get to mention this. I'm not even sure if there's a prop bet, um, but I am all in on Dwight Freeney having a sack in this game. Okay. I, I feel like he matches up super well with the Patriots' offensive tackles. You know, he wants to go out with a ring. Uh, I'm, I'm all in on Dwight Freeney having a sack in this game. So that's my final proclamation. Yeah, that that's pretty fair. I, I I'm really excited to see him and Babino how they go. Obviously, Babino's pretty much a part time player, kind of like Freeney, but obviously Freeney's gonna have his opportunities. So, I guess we'll see. But Andrew, we appreciate you coming on. I know 
we're not up there in terms of Falcon takes. I know we're not Scott Karizic, but thanks for giving <laughs> us the time. Who? Nobody is. <laughs> thanks for having me, guys. All right, man. Thanks, man. Have a good night. Have a good night, man. All right, guys, we are joined by Robert Land of Locked On Texans podcast, as well as the Houston Sports Talk podcast. He is with us to talk a little bit about this upcoming Super Bowl. No, he's not an expert on the Falcons, but he is an expert on all things Houston. And that's where this Super Bowl 51 is being played on. And and maybe he'll give us some insight into what people can expect if they're making the trip there, what people might be missing if they're not making the trip there and and share some of the more interesting things. coincidences and connections I, I think you would you would call them Robert with uh, this uh, potential Patriots Falcons matchup happening in Houston in this year so um, I was on Robert's show last week people go ahead and check that out and locked on Texans you can find that at audio boom um, and we talked about some stuff some interesting thing about this matchup but uh, I want to welcome Robert back on you know quid pro quo as they say and um, welcome him onto our show. And um, Robert, uh, how excited are you to see the Super Bowl matchup? You know, what is it like being in the host city and potentially covering uh, a Super Bowl like this? Well, it's it's great. I mean, Houston, it's it's very they're very excited about it here. And you know, we we've done this before, but it's always fun. I think Houston, like the the non New Yorks and the Chicago's and the LA's, just loves being the being the center of the world having that attention i'm sure atlanta feels the same way when when the major events come that direction yeah now i was uh just just because i was curious to see what the price hikes were with the hotels around um houston because i know um basically if you're within a 300 mile radius of a super bowl you know your your prices are, are going to go up quite a bit and i i found it very interesting to see some of the prices you know some of these 60 70 dollar motels charging 400 a night for this upcoming weekend um are you seeing um other things around the city that are uh going at, quote unquote crazy like that Nothing that I've heard outside of the hotels. Should I put my apartment up for uh, rent or something? I feel like I'm missing an opportunity here because I live about five miles uh, from downtown, maybe even less than that. Maybe it's only about three miles. I'm I'm just outside of downtown, about three minutes from there. And that's where everything's kind of happening. Because if you've never been to Houston, if you guys in Atlanta are not familiar with it, you Falcons fans aren't familiar with it, you know, Houston, where – NRG stadium is where the football stadium is and and all of that is about it's about a 10 minute drive from downtown on the freeway the the happenings are all with downtown at the convention centers where they have the NFL experiences which is right uh, in downtown right next to Minute Maid Park on one side and on the other side is the Toyota Center where the Rockets play so that's where a lot of stuff's going on all this week from what I understand there's music and bands and concerts going on at the park there's a a park called discovery green fairly new to houston actually i think it's just been within the last 10 or 15 years with the opening of the toyota center about 13 14 years ago that park opened up and it's a it's a downtown park that's right next to the convention center right next to the toyota center you know they've got a pond they have a place where they've had the the concerts here before you know we've hosted a couple of final fours recently uh, that we've had NBA uh, All-Star games recently. The the baseball All-Star game was about, I'm trying to think, that was probably about 12, 13 years ago, somewhere in that neighborhood. So 
there, there's been a lot of major events here within the last 15 years, and that's really the place to be for a lot of people. And then there's also a light rail, and, and you know, MARTA is uh, much more extensive than our light rail system. We basically have just two lines, and the major line runs from NRG, where the football stadium is, and the Astrodome and all of that, through uh, the museum district, and it you know, that's right next to the museum districts, right where the Houston Zoo is and all of that sort of stuff. And then it goes into downtown. So you can take a light rail from downtown over to NRG Stadium. And it's pretty convenient for anybody that's going to go to the game. And actually, up until Wednesday, I just saw on Twitter that uh, it's totally free. It's free to take the light rail um, this uh, the, the, in the next couple of days anyways. Okay. Barbara, I'm curious, given that you mentioned all those events why do you think Houston is so attractive in terms of just hosting these big events? Well, one thing we had that was a huge benefit is Bob McNair. You know, Bob McNair is a major player, the owner of the Texans. And I'm sure a lot of the first Super Bowl had to do with the fact that they got uh, that new stadium and he was a new owner and all of that sort of thing. Um, but Houston works because it, we have a great infrastructure. It's spread out, you know, for many people that or in some of the cities in the Northeast, they might not get it, but Houston is as spread out a city as it, there is in the United States. Area-wise, I think it's in the top two or three of any city in the United States. So that's an issue. But most of what you need is pretty close to the stadium within a, a 10 or 15-minute drive, and most of what you're going to do is around that area. And it's it's a great city. I mean, Houston, if people haven't been here, it's become – the most multi-ethnic city in the United States, according to uh, what I've been reading. You know, people don't think of that. They think of New York. They think of Los Angeles. But Houston has really become a mecca for just everything. And you can get every type of food. It's one of the best restaurant cities in the world. Uh, the the prices are super cheap compared to most of your major cities. It's, it's got to be the most affordable major city in the United States. Obviously, the, the accommodations during Super Bowl week are going to go up, but I don't think the prices of the restaurants are going to go too much. You know, I don't think they're going to go too high. And so for people that are coming inside, if you, unless you're going to maybe those downtown restaurants, you don't have to get too far out of downtown. And I mean, there's great restaurants all over this city and all over the area that encompasses that what you call inside the loop in Houston, which is this loop that's about a, within about a five mile radius uh, of if you were to draw like a, just a circle around downtown, it's about a five mile radius where the, it's a highway that goes around the city, and and that's that's where everything is pretty much going to go on. The gallery area is also really huge area where people are going to go out and do things, and part of that is inside the loop, and part of it's just a little bit outside the loop, but it's it's really close by. Now you said that you're not far from downtown. You got any sort of hidden gym restaurants that uh, maybe some uh, out of towners might need to check out this week? Well, my favorite place, you know, if, if you go to get barbecue, there's a restaurant that's been around, I think, now for 40 years. And they have locations around the city. Uh, but the original one, it's called Good Company. And the original one is on Kirby near uh, 59. 59 is the highway that goes southwest of the city from, from downtown. And it's uh, just maybe, for, if you're going downtown, it's maybe six or seven minutes down 59. And you get off at the Kirby exit. And Kirby is actually the street that goes all the way to the stadium, all the way to NRG. So very convenient for anybody who's in town. And it's been around forever. 
it's you know a lot of people if you say good company you'd say the reputation is is pretty much fantastic and uh they also have like good company seafood and they have other stuff but the good company barbecue is where it all starts and it's one of those places that you go in and there's just a really small place indoors and then they have just you know benches like you would see at a park and and the outdoor stuff so it's it's there's not a whole lot to it but the food is just as good as it gets as far as barbecue goes in the houston area and you know if you come to houston and you come to texas barbecue barbecue is the deal barbecue and maybe tex-mex are our two signatures i assume houston's siding with atlanta going to the super bowl right oh yeah well as as i told you guys uh when you guys when i had you guys on last week one of the big things is i i can't imagine anybody outside of the patriot fans in new england uh and maybe patriot fans spread out elsewhere that aren't siding with atlanta and i I would definitely say that you know there's not a lot of love for the new england patriots (laughs) even though we've become the sort of patriot south with our, our our texans and there's so many connections there they just hired Wes Welker as the new wide receivers coach. Everybody knows Bill O'Brien's connection to the old quarterback coach with Tom Brady. And, and you have Romeo Cornell as the defensive coordinator. Mike Vrabel just became the defensive coordinator, the former linebacker with the Patriots. So you have all these connections. But I don't think there's any more love for the Patriots after all the connections. And I think one of the, the frustrations at times is we see, well, where where is this Patriots offense that we hear about and <laughs> with the Texans? So uh, Bill, Bill O'Brien is not one of those warm and cuddly guys. So when things aren't going well for him, and especially it's been an offensive issue, uh, you know, I don't think there's a lot of love yet for Bill O'Brien. But everybody's happy with Romeo, what Romeo's done on the defensive and, and Vrabel and those guys. And so, uh, you know, they're happy with that. But Bill O'Brien, that's another story. Hopefully Wes Walker could teach Wolf Fuller how to hold on to the ball. <laughs> yeah. That, that would definitely be nice. Uh, Wes Welker, you know, one of his more memorable moments came, uh, unfortunately for him, at, at NRG Stadium. He, that's, uh, he had a season-ending knee injury, and when, oh, wow, yeah. Brit, when uh, Belichick was playing him in a meaningless game, the last game of the year against the Texans, and that was the only time that we actually beat, the Houston Texans beat the Patriots, was that game, and Welker gets lost for the season. And a key thing... For Falcons fans, as you're watching this game, remember the NRG and what formerly Reliant Stadium was grass. They were bringing in those pellets of grass. And I believe the last Super Bowl was probably played on that. That was what the the stadium was for the longest time until just the last, uh, I believe it's been just the last two years where they've moved to the, the permanent artificial surface, the, the uh, typical what everybody else is playing on around the NFL. And there was some issues with that. And, and a, one of those was that Wes Welker season-ending injury. We had the Jadavian Clowney injury his first season, at the very beginning of his first season, where he was lost for the entire season because of, of that, that. What we thought was the problem was with the grass. Or he stuck his leg somewhere, and you saw those indentions those kind of weird indentions in it and it just didn't look like it was a good idea but the players were you know if you talk to them they would say well you know we still would rather play on grass than the artificial surface because it is more giving but from an outsider's perspective you know it it was an issue and we also had a punter named brett hartman that actually sued the (laughs) that is there's a suit against the texans because of the injury that he's had uh 
And actually, D'Amico Ryan's a former Texan player with when he was with the Eagles, uh, had a major injury. And I think there might be a lawsuit involving him with the Texans. So that that's something to keep an eye on. It's something totally different than, than what was the case in Houston. And, and you guys also might get to see a game outdoors there, which which we never get to see anymore because it, they always close the roof now, partially because of the weather. But I think the bigger thing is they want the they want the crowd noise. OK. Now, uh, Robert, you were telling me uh, when I was on your show, some of the connections with this game, like you, you mentioned one with like Jake Matthews and his dad, Bruce. Right, right. I mean, well, there's and for the for the Houston connections, just the Houston guys, you have Jake Matthews, his, his dad, Bruce. Uh, obviously, he's a Hall of Famer. Everybody knows Bruce Matthews, I think. But Bruce played for 13 years. I think it's 13, 14 years with the Oilers. And then he goes to a Super Bowl with the Titans in Atlanta. And then here we are, Jake Matthews is playing in a Super Bowl in Houston. So that's that's a weird connection. Martellus Bennett, a Houston guy, covered him in high school. Uh, there's a, a couple other Houston guys in the game. And to, to me, the, the funny thing is that, uh, you know, I, I've got to cover two Super Bowls in, in my history and, and getting to cover sports. And one of them, I was working for a Memphis station and I was covering the Super Bowl with the Titans and the Rams in Atlanta. So during the ice storm, I was down there for that. And then the second Super Bowl I got to cover was the first one at NRG Stadium. It was Reliant Stadium at the time. And, of course, everybody knows what happened for that one. That's kind of a famous incident. Uh, I assume all of you guys remember what happened with that one besides the game. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, for, for those of you guys that are a little zoning out, he's referring to Janet Jackson. Yeah, the, the wardrobe malfunction. Yeah. To me, one of the, the funniest things that happened is I, I go to the game, and, and I was covering the game for Fox Sports New England. Of course, it was the Patriots and the Panthers. The Texans had actually played both teams that year, and actually they beat the Panthers. They, they didn't have that great of a season, but they beat the Panthers. They lost to the Patriots in overtime, so uh, two, two fantastic games, and I, the, the two games that I had seen that year. So I, I go to the game. For, and I'm working for Fox Sports New England. They didn't need me to shoot anything. So during the game, I'm just talking with, with Biff Henderson from David Letterman. And I, I talked with Maria Menounos in the media room. I couldn't go on the field. I couldn't actually get in the stadium as the game's going on. So I'm just like hanging out, watching the game. And, and I'm trying to take some pictures of different people I see. And I see, you know, P. Diddy and, uh, you know, Puffy or whatever, Sean Combs. I see Jay-Z. I see Adam Sandler, Kid Rocks rolling around on a golf cart before the game. And at halftime, I'm looking for people. And I, as I'm in the in this sort of underground of the stadium, I look left, I look right, I look left, and I'm looking for celebrities. And I look left a little too long. And when I turn back to look right, like right in front of me, literally profiled as she's walking along is Janet Jackson. And at that very millisecond, she turns the corner. So I missed the picture of taking the shot of Janet Jackson as she's about to head out for the, the famed incident, the, the wardrobe malfunction, and uh, didn't hear about what happened until, you know, like most of us, we didn't even know about it at the game. You you find out as you're driving home and you're listening on the radio and you're like, what in the world happened? And and, and I'm still angry to this day because I, I don't know what that picture would be worth, you know, trying to sell that thing to TMZ. You know what? What that? What I could have that. <laughs> well, maybe you can uh, make up for the money that you're about to lose by not being an Airbnb this week for the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe Lady Gaga will put something together. Who knows? <laughs> maybe. 
Yeah, the Super Bowl in Atlanta was was real interesting too because the funny thing there was I was covering the game for a Memphis station and I was in the corner of the end zone. Isaac Bruce catches the game-winning touchdown. He was the only guy in the field who went to the University of Memphis. And, of course, we, we cover the University of Memphis all the time, working for the CBS in Memphis. And he runs straight at me in the corner of the end zone for what turned out to be the game-winning touchdown. And then I go to the other end of the field. I'm still shooting. And Kevin Dyson catches the ball from Steve McNair. Everybody remembers he gets tackled on the one-yard line. And the guy that makes the tackle is this guy that's like almost a footnote in history now, but his name is Mike Jones. And Mike Jones went to the University of Missouri and was in school when I was in school, and I was covering his games, and he was a running back, not a linebacker. And when we were in school, they were the Los Angeles Rams, not the St. Louis Rams. So there I am at this Super Bowl. The University of Memphis guy runs at me for the winning touchdown. I get Mike Jones making the game-winning tackle, this guy that I covered in college, and then the team that loses the game was the team that the franchise anyway that I grew up rooting for the Houston Oilers. So it was a it was a really strange and kind of surreal experience. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it. Um, Robert, is there anything else that uh, before we let you go, is there anything else that you would like to share about this uh, upcoming game? Any any things, you know, maybe football related that you might be looking for this weekend? Oh boy, football related. Well, you know, I think the thing that uh, you're you're interested to see is I'm hoping for an offensive shootout. I, I don't know what you guys would like to see, but you know, if you're a fan of the game, you got Brady, who's Brady, and then you have Matt Ryan, who's red hot, and you just want to see this become an offensive shootout. You you want to see the guys stay healthy. I think there's uh, we when you talk about Houston connections, um, it would be tremendously ironic if something happens to Matt Ryan and Matt Schaub's comes out on the field because, you know, Matt Schaub <laughs> in Houston, uh, he's taken his hits from Houston fans, but of course he's still the Houston Texans best quarterback in the, in the history. And I, that's, that, that's not, um, it's not a great history for quarterbacks, but you know, it's really ironic because here he was, he's the best quarterback in Houston history. We traded him as you guys remember, it was with the Falcons we get Matt Schaub for a couple of second-round picks. And the guy that made that deal, Gary Kubiak, goes on to, to win a Super Bowl, just retired at the end of this year. So there's that whole line of connections, that whole sort of through line. And, you know, I joke, well, what if Matt Schaub comes into the game and leads the Falcons down the field for the game-winning touchdown at the end of the game? And, you know, of course, I was immediately shot down by a friend of mine that's a Texan fan, and I said, yeah, he goes, yeah, he, he would throw the game-winning touchdown, but I'm, I'm scared he would throw the game-winning touchdown uh, for the Patriots and not the Falcons. <laughs> uh. Com- considering some of his last few passes, uh, certainly as a Texan, that, that's probably a pretty safe assumption at that point. So, Yeah, if you're in Houston, you know, for the game, I, I just, you know, I really hope everybody gets to get a little bit of flavor of the city. You know, you got – all these, we got all the different style of the restaurants and the, the theater district. Uh, some of the, the, the museums are some of the most underrated in the country. And uh, it's got a, you know, we got a great light nightlife, a lot of different things uh, going on as far as that goes. So I'm assuming a lot of Falcons fans will get to enjoy that. But, you know, if you get a chance, it, to me, it's still really special to go down to NASA because that's where it all started. You know, the, the, the movie that is going to be up for the Oscar, Hidden Figures, 
that takes place, uh, from what I understand, in, in Houston at at NASA. You know, everybody, you hear the thing over and over again. It becomes really the bane of uh, Houston fans' existence. <laughs> hearing Houston, we you know we have a problem, and that's the the joke. And it's just it's been run into the ground. Houston people can't stand it because it's just the crutch that everybody uses. And for a Houstonian and for people that that grew up with NASA. You know, NASA has done just a tremendous thing for a lot of the things that we take for granted today. It's 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 why there we have cell phones. A lot of the things that you take for granted in life came up came about because of NASA, because of the space program. And I think that the thing is, you know, get get down there if you get a chance and, and see NASA. And remember that, you know, Houston, we have a problem was absolutely the greatest rescue mission in the history of the world. We actually brought people back from space, you know, on a ship that didn't work. And, you know, it, it was only a, whatever, 66, 67 years earlier that we were just sending people up in aircrafts that took off from the ground. And all of a sudden we're rescuing people to come back from space. And that's what I always think about. So uh, I, I hope I can get the Falcon fan to the Lockdown Falcon listeners to, to just go when you hear that phrase, just get upset as we do about that because it, it really is one of the cool things about Houston and one of the really incredible things that, that, that the people in NASA were able to accomplish. And, and that's what I think of when I hear that phrase. Okay. Well, appreciate it, Robert. Um, thanks for coming on, sharing us uh, some of your stories, some of those connections and, and some tips for anybody that's uh, heading that way uh, this week or, or this weekend to, to check out the game. Um, I'm sure we will have plenty of opportunities to talk with you in the future. I know there are, I'm, I'm certain that there will be other future former Texans like uh, Brooks Reed that will be joining the Falcons and, and maybe that swap will, uh, that pipeline between the two teams uh, that re- that involve trades like uh, the Matt Schaub one will continue in the future and we'll get an opportunity to uh, talk about this player, that player in this off season and whatnot. Yeah, Texan fans are definitely going to be rooting for Brooks Reed. He was very popular when he was here. Yeah, he was a really good guy. Yeah, and I mean, he's got a great head of hair, so uh, you can certainly understand <laughs> yeah. why people were were backing him. Um, but again, Robert, thanks for uh, chatting with us tonight, and I uh, hope you have a good night. Oh, thanks let, so much, guys. Let me give you the, the platform to plug um, what you need to plug. Oh, yeah. Well, if you if you want to check us out, it's it's Locked On Texans. And we're at Locked On Texans. Uh, you guys know how to find the Locked On stuff, iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And, you know, I really I, – I think you guys would really love this interview that I did with Mickey Herskowitz. And we talked about that very first Super Bowl that, that uh, uh, was in Houston at Rice Stadium. And it's crazy to think that a Super Bowl was played at Rice Stadium. It wasn't even home of the Oilers at the time, of course. It, it was – the Oilers were playing in the Astrodome. But Mickey tells the story about – you know, that first Super Bowl, what happened, some of the extraneous things that happened. And Mickey is a, you know, he is for 50 plus years, he wrote for the Post and the Chronicle. And he was a, a sports editor for a long time with the Houston Post. And he, he's pretty much a legend. Mickey wrote books on, you know, Dan Rather and Mickey Mantle, Howard Cosell, Betty Davis, Shirley Jones, Marty Engels. So sports and outside of sports, uh, you know, Gene Autry, Nolan Ryan, Paul Bear Bryant. Uh, George Allen, Tom Kite. So really cool guy. Great stories all the time whenever I've, I've had Mickey for anything on. And he just talks about that that Super Bowl. And also 
tells me something that I didn't know and talks a little bit about this. He was actually working for Pete Rosell in the very first Super Bowl and tells stories about that, which is kind of cool. So you might want to check that. That'll be on the Tuesday Locked On Texans. But I, I know you guys are Falcons fans, but that might be a, a way for you guys to check check out a little something on Locked On Texans that you might enjoy. All right. We'll definitely tune into that and uh, listen to some of those great stories. Um, uh, thanks again, Robert, uh, for coming on and, and talking with us. Alan, where, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at Alan underscore Stirk. That's A-double-L-E-N underscore S-T-R-K. I am at Falcfans on Twitter. It's F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. I can't even spell it. F-A-L-C-F-A-N-S. Um, guys, uh, we will be coming back with you tomorrow. I don't know exactly what we're going to talk about. I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, some game that's happening. Uh, but uh, we will at some point this week, probably at the end of the week, have our big sort of preview show. We will certainly have for our Thursday show, right? Um, we will be doing our listener Q and a, um, and you know, what's on deck for tomorrow, Alan? I, we're trying to confirm. We will be guess. doing iTunes reviews. Well, that is a certain, okay. uh, definitely. We've gotten a lot so far. Greatly appreciate If you want to send more, we'll definitely get to it because we always want to give time to our listeners because they give us the time. Yeah, we're, you know, I, I, I'm being vague about tomorrow's show just because we're trying to get a guest on. And if we get that guest on, I think people will go icky balooky about that person coming on. But at this point in time, you know, you know how the business is, or, or maybe you don't, but uh, nailing that person down quite yet is uh, is a little bit being difficult. So I, I don't want to make any promises about that. But we'll try to get that person on at some point this week, if not for tomorrow's show. Yeah. But um, I wanted to, to, the listener Q&A, guys, you can send the, your questions over to uh, the show's Twitter handle at Lockdown Falcons, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about those on for Thursday's show, so get those in by Wednesday night. Yep, we'll get to every question. This is the biggest week of the year, so we're going to dedicate as much time as possible to each episode. Yes, because next week is just going to be a week of celebration or a week of sadness, and we won't be, have time to, to listen to people asking us questions. Not sure. We'll be doing all 22 breakdown regardless of the result. Well, it'll be the greatest celebratory all 22 breakdown or the saddest one. I gotta be honest. I'm not going to be too heartbroken just given how crazy this year has been and not expecting this, but whatever. Okay. You sound like Aaron Freeman over there. Don't ever say those <laughs> words ever again. We'll be back tomorrow, folks. Thank you for listening. All right. See you guys tomorrow. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I know, man. I, the halftime show, I better have a swish of house reunion. I want to hear it still tip it on, on stage with Mike Jones, Slim Thug, Paul Wild, baby. All right. God, I hope she's not on the internet. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she is. If she's above the age of nine, she is. Oh, boy. That's how the Jeez. world is now, right? You know, these these young kids, when I was nine, I didn't have the internet. It didn't exist. All right, Aaron. Don't <laughs> ever do that voice again. <laughs> what you doing? I'm running out of space on my phone, so I'm deleting some stuff. Bye, singing dog. Bye, goal. I pronounce you. Bye, wedding ceremony. 
Stop. At MetroPCS, you get two free phones with twice as much memory. Really? Don't say bye to your memories. Switch to MetroPCS and get two free LG K20 Plus phones with 32 gigs when you switch two lines. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.